This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hey, this is Drew Dixon. I'm one of the hosts of Humans of Gaming and the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. This is part three, the final episode of our three-part series of game designer interviews, rapid-fire game designer interviews. These are all three- to seven-minute interviews with some of the most fascinating, interesting game designers from all over the world that we recorded at Pin Arcade East Expo in Boston, Massachusetts. So while we were at PAX East, uh, I, I talked to... Yeah, game designers from all over the world that are making some of the most interesting, most fascinating games out there. So I hope that this podcast introduces you to some new games that maybe you haven't heard of, and, and not just some new games that you haven't heard of, but but ones that are, are saying something interesting and that are setting out to do something meaningful uh, through games, through interactive media. So you'll hear from Alex Meacham and Lon Verno, who are making one of the games I'm most excited about called Outer Wilds. You'll hear from developers behind Disco Elysium, which was one of my very favorite games of the show. Due Process and Lightfall and Path of Modus and Dark Devotion, all games that the, this episode kind of features some games that, that may or may not be on your radar that um, I think you'll really dig. So um, hope this is encouraging to you. Hope you enjoy it. Um, and uh, yeah, without further ado, let's uh, conclude this series uh, of interviews. Thanks again for listening. So tell me all's roles on the team. And tell me your names again, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, sure. Um, I'm Alex Beecham, and I'm the creative director. Okay. And I'm Lone Verno, and I'm a, a designer and producer. Okay, cool. And, uh, and where are you guys from? So our studio is in Los Angeles. Okay, cool. Cool. And, uh, and how long have you been working on Outer Wilds? So Outer Wilds started as a student project. Um, originally, it was a master's thesis at USC um, six years ago. Um, we've been working on it full-time at Mobius for the last three years. Okay, cool. And uh, give me like the quick pitch. What makes it unique? So it's an open world mystery where you explore a solar system that's trapped in a 20-minute time loop. And the game's all about rewarding player curiosity. So it's an exploration game, and it's up to you to kind of explore this world and find clues and piece together what's going on. Yeah, and I guess you add some tension with that time loop because each play, each time you, you run those 20 minutes, you've got 20 minutes to explore something you might be looking for, to find some answer that, that you've... Just that you that you're after or whatever. Exactly, like the place you were in, Dark Bramble. Um, there are ways to navigate that, but you have to learn those. And some of those answers of how to do that are actually on other planets. And so, as you explore different worlds, you know you find clues that point you to other places or tell you secrets about how to reach a place you wouldn't know how to get to normally. Um, and so, it really is about exploration to learn more about the world you're in, and eventually, it all kind of comes together. Yeah. And you were saying you've made it completely open, so you could. You were telling me earlier you could go straight to the end if you knew how to get there, but it's all knowledge-gated, yeah. which so I think no is really gonna, neat. No, no one's ever going to do that, right? Like, right. there's just no way in a million years. Like, Unless uh, you're a horrible person and look up the answer on the Internet or something. Right, right. Maybe, yeah, be careful with wikis on this one. Right, right, yeah. 
And uh, there is a ship computer that remembers all the things you found, so we don't ask of the player to actually remember that. Like you know, like if you uh, if you're playing for a while and you had to t take a pause and come back to the game, you can still go on the ship computer and it has a recording of everything you found. Yeah. So if you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their time playing Outer Wilds? Curiosity. Yeah. And just sort of. Uh, a desire to go, you know, into the unknown and see, you know, just to see what's out there, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The game's really about evoking the, the the spirit of like real world space exploration. Yeah. And that sense of like fragility, you know, Apollo 13 style, drifting through space, nothing between you and the void of space, but like this glass visor. Um, but you yeah. do it because we want to we want to know what's out there, right? And we right. want to like learn more about the universe. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Would you add anything? Yeah, like it's it's about exploring, not for the sake of gathering resources or like you know, getting a better ship or anything like that. It's about exploring to understand what's out there. Yeah. Um, so like you know, we're a bit you know uh, space nerds and we love NASA and ESA and all their work. So yeah. it's very much about evoking that feeling into players. Yeah. I was gonna ask that if you guys are space nerds because I, I suspected I knew the answer. Um, no, I was really enjoyed playing it. Uh, one last question I like to ask designers, uh, game developers. Why do you make games? What drives you to do what you do? I mean, I think we make games to achieve the thing, kind of like the goal we were just saying, that creating these experiences for players and getting to dump them into these new worlds and where they have to figure things out. We like to make things where players really have to like figure things out for themselves. You know, we're not going to be super hand-holdy. Um, and so you really feel like we reward them for trying to understand the worlds that we build, and we think that players get a lot out of that. Yeah. Both in terms of enjoyment and just like, you know, that's, I think it's an important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, yeah, no, and uh, we really enjoy like just making experiences that like players remember and, you know, that have an impact on players. Like, it's, I mean, I love games that are just, you know, fun and you play them for a bit and it's enjoyable, but I also, uh, we, we do want to make games that, like, will have, you know, people will remember and they'll change the way they think about the world in some way or another. Yeah. It inspires, like, one person, you know, to, like, go want to be an astronaut or any kind of explorer, like, mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I think our, the like one of the best feedback we ever heard from like one of the players who like tested the game was when after playing they were like oh I want to now go like read more about quantum physics and we were like oh my this is just thank you we paying you like what yeah. <laughs> the highest compliment you can get that's yeah. great that's awesome well thanks so much for your time it looks great and uh, when can people expect to, to see it do you have a launch window idea uh, yeah it's gonna come out this year okay great well, thanks so much. And Toby, what is your role on uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance? I am the press speaker and PR manager at War Studios and voice actor in Kingdom Come Deliverance. Okay, cool. And, uh... Yeah, tell me, I mean, I know it just launched not too long ago. How's the reception been so far? Well, to be honest, on, on the day of the release, we were sitting in the studio and chewing nails. So this was like, for us, this is a huge thing. Uh, we didn't knew what to expect from media, from, from gamers. Yeah. And 
what then happened was incredible even for us because we we sold the million in about 10 days people were super hyped on twitch it was sky hype everyone was streaming it people were loving it even though it had bugs and flaws we hated as well that the bugs were there but we are constantly patching them yeah and so far so good i would say people like it the the most important thing for us is that they understood the concept that it's a slow-paced game, that you have to talk a lot to the people, that it, it's, it's all about the story and not a fast action game. Um, so whenever they disliked something, they said the bugs are bad, but they didn't say the concept of the game is bad. Right. So that's very good and we are very happy that the people love it. Yeah, yeah, cool. And uh, so for somebody who hasn't checked it out yet, give me the quick pitch. What is Kingdom Come Deliverance and what makes it unique? So very quick, Kingdom Come Deliverance is an open-world RPG. Uh, the uniqueness in it is that we try to make it as realistic as possible and as, as, as historically accurate as possible. So you see real castles, a story that is based on a true story. Your, your character is fictional, so you have the chance to tell your story within this historical setting. Uh, all the castles you are meeting, all the churches and stuff are either still existing today or existed back then. Same as nobility and so on. So you have the chance to go through a game that could have happened like that and the uniqueness is that no one ever tried to make a realistic RPG set in the mid yeah. Middle Ages. Yeah. I understand there's some realistic uh, elements you've wo woven into the, the combat and survival, right? Can you give me some examples of that? Definitely. You know, what, what you have to understand though is that we did our compromises here and there. You cannot do a 100% realistic game, sure. it's just not possible. So, for example, the combat system, we uh, talked to real sword fighters, we have them here as well in the, in the yeah. booth today, and they showed us how the, middle, the medieval fencers most likely fought. Uh, we explained them why this is not possible because they showed us that they have to be unpredictable and very fast in their movement, and then don't, they don't want to have this big fighting moments we, we are used to from movies and so on. So we have to find a compromise between this style cinematic and, and cinematic. Realistic. Exactly. Yeah. And because the player needs to see what's happening on the screen. So we have broad moves and the player has the reaction time to actually do something with that. With that. So that's one thing. Uh, but still, we, we never... When, when it came to uh, realism versus gameplay, we never sacrificed gameplay for realism. So it was we were more declined to uh, rather make it a nice game than a boring, realistic something. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, that's that's cool. If you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their time playing Kingdom Come Deliverance? A story. That's the one thing I hope people people get because what I what I found out when I here at PAX is that I was talking to one guy and he was telling me about a quest how we were solving it and a completely random dude who stand, stood next to him he said oh wow we yeah, I had the same quest but I didn't know you can do this I did a completely different approach and what I what I love from this game and what I love that people can get from this game is that they can create their own unique story and we, we offer them a basis like a playground somehow yeah. but how to solve the quest is up to them and there's so many things to do there so story I hope that every player who plays Kingdom Come Deliverance has a uh, satisfying story he can tell or he can play through yeah yeah cool and one last question I'd like to ask uh, developers is why do you make games? Why are you in this industry? That's a very philosophical question. Maybe, you know, with games you want, we want to, or developers most likely want to give people the chance to experience something they're not 
able to experience in, in reality, like for example, in our case, time travel to the 15th century. Yeah. So the easiest answer is because we love games. That's one thing. The second easiest because you can gain money with that. And the third is to create experiences and something this is which is fictional or somehow opening minds and giving you insights into long forgotten times and so on and so on. So it's just widening the the horizon for it's like a book pretty much. Inter why are we doing games? Because we like to have inter uh, interactive books. Yeah. That's pretty much yeah. the same. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, it looks great, and I've been hearing great things about it. So I'm excited to check it out myself soon. But, uh, but yeah. So it's out now. And uh, any any future plans for it that you would want to tell us about? Definitely. One thing is the patching, of course. So we're shooting one patch after the other. The good thing is that we are uh, putting free stuff into it as well, like barber shop and these kind of mini things you can then go through. But what we're doing right now is DLC. So. Uh, Starting in June, July, somehow will be the first big DLCs coming, and then we'll see. Modding is something we want to want to address as well, yeah. and we are constantly taking care of the game. And we we'll, let's see where we can go with that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you very much yeah. for coming. I'm here with Ben Archer, and you are one of the founders of the studio that's creating Lightfall. Uh, yeah, tell me about Lightfall, what makes it unique? All right, so the, the main thing about Lightfall is it's a platformer in which the player controls his own platform. So he can navigate across the levels, creating his own path, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, yeah, what, what makes it, uh, or, or if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players gain from their experience playing the game, what would it be? Freedom, freedom. Because I mean, what else? What is the better way to give freedom to the player in a platformer than allowing to make his own level design, his own path across the levels? So yeah. that was the main goal of Lightfall: is just giving the ultimate freedom for the players. We give you this mechanic, have fun with it, beat the challenges the way you want to. So yeah, that's pretty much the idea behind the game. Yeah, and uh, tell me a little bit about where you. That's a you know, a storyline and a pretty unique aesthetic. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. Uh, basically, the silhouette style we use in Lightfall, uh, there's two reasons for that. The first one is because at first we only had one artist. So I think the silhouette style is pretty efficient when you're, you are a small team. Yeah. Uh, the second reason was because we wanted to have this mystical world where it was always nighttime. You know, yeah. that's what the game is called Lightfall. There's no daylight in the game, almost. So the silhouette style matched what we wanted to do perfectly so that's why we went with this art style yeah as for the story you play this teenage boy uh, that appears in this universe without a hint of who he is or his past so at first you're just trying to pick up clues on what you're doing there and as you as you realize what's uh, what's what's going on you realize that something really bad is happening to this strange homeland and it's up to you to save the land yeah yeah cool and uh, one last question I like to ask designers is why do you make games? What drives you to do this? I mean, uh, I didn't even work or study in this field before. I was just like a huge gamer all my life. So when the opportunity came, uh, I was reunited with my childhood friend starting up a studio. I just said, you know, let's go. So that, to, to me it makes sense because I'm playing games since I'm three years old and just working in this field is uh, a dream come true for me. So. Yeah. And where can people play Lightfall? 
It's coming out at the end of this month on Switch and Steam, so uh, keep an eye out for that. You can already check the Steam page. Uh, so yeah, Steam and Switch by the end of April. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, we really enjoyed looking at it. Thanks, Ben. writers but like yeah. a couple of us are fiction writers and novelists and several are poets yeah um, so I think like having that those like different backgrounds um, really like gives us like a different angle on yeah these sorts of things than a, you know, than a lot of folks yeah so Justin you're you're this is your first time writing in a video game yeah okay but you did some other types of writing before? Yeah, I'm also a fiction writer. Okay, um, cool. I publish short stories and that sort of thing and working on a novel. Cool, yeah. And you're the art director? Yeah. Art, artist? And t- uh, tell me your name, Alexander, right? Alexander. Okay, okay cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess give me like the quick pitch of Disco Elysium. Uh, what is it? What makes it unique? So, um... We've been describing it as a, an isometric RPG, sort of in the Planescape Torment tradition, yeah. uh, but crossed with a um, like '70s cop show. Yeah, uh, and I think that like kind of captures like the disparate spirit of it pretty well. Yeah. Um, you know, like as as you've seen, like the writing is really different. Um, it has like a, a sense of humor and a level of immersion uh, yeah. that we think is like really special, and you know, like. Obviously, the art is fantastic as well. Yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, that grabbed me right away when I played it the first time. The art and the and the storytelling. Um, and one of the things I, I noticed is right right off the bat, you kind of realize you're a the character you play as is doesn't jump off the page as this heroic character. He has clearly has a lot of issues and almost seems like having an existential crisis at the very beginning. Um, of some sorts. It's not just the very beginning. Yeah, uh, all throughout. So that's a huge part of the of the story as well as like yeah. figuring out there's this guy's like a, story, his past. There's like a redemption arc in there that uh, you can you know uh, go through and uh, redeem this uh, character that you're playing, or you can also just take this uh, this uh, low point of his life where he wakes up with this nuclear hangover where he remembers absolutely nothing about his past, and you can decide to like just. Just drive him further. Okay. Yeah. He's the worst human being you can ever imagine. Yeah. Being. Yeah. yeah. I, I like to tell people that there are like several like murder, like several like mysteries going on in the game at one time. Like you're both like trying to solve this crime that you've been sent to here, but also trying to like solve the story of your own life and yeah. understand like how you came to be what you are. Um, and then also like you get to make the choice like what you do about that. Yeah. Once you uh, once you figured it out. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. If you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their experience playing the game? The will to carry on. Yeah. <laughs> that's what? like a big thing with um, in, with video games in general is that they're a very um, deflating medium. They demand all of your attention, all of your time. And yeah. after you put your like 200 hours into a video game, you come out of it deflated. You come out yeah. of it like angry at humans you come out of it with your depression beard and like the smelling <laughs> of sweat and Doritos stained fingers. <laughs> this game tries to be like something else to, it, like I'm not kidding what I'd, what I'd say like it's like the will to carry on it's like yeah the, the humor is like uplifting but also like the uh, concepts that it touches upon is like it's you know it's the stuff of literature it's yeah the, uh, when you put this game down we hope you're a better human being not worse yeah 
That's interesting. Yeah, I like that concept a lot. Right, would you add anything to that? Uh, no, I think you nailed it. Okay, cool. And uh, last question I like to ask game designers is, why do you do this? Why do you make games? So for me, um, you know, like I, I grew up playing these sorts of games, and um, I, I had like personally not played um, games seriously for a decade or more. And um, when I first like heard about this game, I just like, um, you know, I had like the nostalgia rush of seeing like the isometric perspective again and the yeah. dialogue engine and everything. Um, but also like the kind of writing which was closer to the sort of thing that like I, you know pursued after I quit video games the first time. Yeah. And so I, it just seemed like, um, you know, the sort of opportunity that, like, I couldn't pass up. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, this is the sort of game where, like, it, it's the kind of game, like, I've always wanted to work on. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. also, like, video games are, like, the um, the dominant medium of this century, right? This is the, uh, the art form that carries the human spirit of, like, the 21st uh, yeah. century. So if you want to, like... Uh, do stuff, change society, leave your mark on history uh, via art and not uh, uh, war or imperial conquest or that, then like video games is the way to do it. And yeah. uh, that is why you gotta make video games. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm Jakub. And Jakub, what is your role on My Memory of Us? Uh, I'm a creative director and I draw the stuff uh, together with Asha, so uh, the art you see is done by me. Okay. And by cool. Asha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, yeah, give me a quick uh, pitch. What is My Memory of Us and what makes it unique? Okay, so My Memory of Us is an adventure game uh, about a pair of characters. And it's the most unique point is that you can uh, control characters separately, but you also can connect them into pair. And the characters have different abilities. Boy, he do the stealth stuff, he can hide, he can steal. Uh, and the girl, she's stronger, so she can run uh, and she can use the sling. But when they connect, they can share their abilities. So if she's the, the leader, they can run. And if he's the leader, they can, they can hide. Uh, but the game uh, has stealth mechanics, uh, puzzles, but mainly it's a storytelling game. So it's uh, the, the story is very rich and I guarantee that you're going to cry at the end. But we won't kill the main characters. <laughs> cool. And uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about the story because it's kind of got a. Um, that's a big part of the the empathy that you find between this boy and this girl. Uh, the game refers to the tragic events of Holocaust, uh, but we try to make it as universal as we can. We try not to show symbols, uh, nations, flags. We don't care about them. So we have historical fragments and historical characters inside the game. Like on this poster, you can see Janusz Korczak, who uh, died in concentration camp, but he was a leader of the orphanage. And yeah. in our game, you can actually visit this orphanage and uh, do some quests for him. Okay. Uh, but we don't say that this, this guy is Janusz Korczak. Right. You can find it in our tiny library, historical library of the game, but it, shall be, uh, it should be unlocked by you. So it's yeah. up to you if you are interested in history or not. Yeah. We are not going to shoot you with history. Yeah. Uh, because we, we try uh, as much as we can to respect two groups of people. Of course, the victims, the survivors of the, of the Holocaust, but the gamers too. Yeah. Uh, this is a fairy tale because the subject is so uh, so difficult, but we try to make us as charming as we can because it's about hope, about uh, holding your hands and about friendship. 
Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And, and what we try to, uh, to show is uh, that our story shows uh, this friendship. How does it evolve? Characters uh, change color during the game, and the color red is, uh, is the, uh, it has two roles. It shows that someone is endangered, excluded, but it also shows uh, interactive parts. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And I think there, um, yeah, there's not a whole lot of games that that. Um, yeah, are striving to engender empathy in the player. Is that is that one of your goals? Is to have a um, a game that gives players a a view into into you know the da dangerous situation in which people live during that time. When you will finish the game, and uh, you will feel that uh, it's just nice to say hello to someone or to say sorry or thank you. Yeah. It's the main goal. Yeah. Uh, Last month I've seen uh, Shape of the Water. It's a beautiful movie. Yeah. Uh, and after, uh, when I uh, uh, exited the cinema, I thought that oh, my, my day is better because uh, yeah. I want to live with people and have a better relations. So this is it. If you can hold someone's hand uh, after playing the game, that's enough. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, last question, or. Or actually, uh, one other question would be: uh, if there's one thing you hope players gain from their experience playing the game, what would it be? Um, emotions. Yeah. Good and bad too. Yeah. Because the story is uh, it's heavy. Yeah. So it's like uh, there are precious moments inside the story when you can laugh, when you can uh, smile, but it also will make you remember that something tragic has happened. So you have to remember about this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, last question I like to ask game designers is uh, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? The games are the most powerful media. Uh, I finished film school in, in Poland, uh, national film school, the, the same school Polanski finished, but I was not very good at creating films. Different character, yeah? yeah. And uh, games, we are like films, but we are interactive too. Yeah. So this is the, more, the most powerful media, great for telling the stories and great for allowing players to create the stories. So yeah. in culture, you have nothing better than this. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I really enjoyed looking at it. Thanks for showing it to me, Jakob. And uh, so tell me your name again and your role in the game. Uh, Vincent Grubbs. I am the uh, lead designer on Due Process. Cool. And Alex, tell me your... Alex Bard, creative director. Cool. And Bard is B-A-A-R-D. Okay, cool. Thanks. And uh, yeah, so give me the quick pitch. What is Due Process? What makes it unique? Uh, so the, uh, the unique thing about Due Process um, is 5-5 five, five tactical shooter. Our, our main draw is that we use procedurally generated maps that are kind of hand curated in order to get you to have a new experience every time, every round, um, so that you don't essentially fall in the kind of arcane map knowledge that other shooters uh, depend on. Uh, in order to be successful playing it. Um, we have a two-minute planning phase so that you can coordinate uh, with your team how you're going to attack or defend uh, the building, uh, followed by a two-minute execution phase to actually attempt to execute your plan and probably fail horribly. Some of, some of the key features of our game uh, is that we're really trying to focus on getting players to learn tactics and strategy. Yeah. Uh, we want you to, to understand how to clear rooms, we want you to understand how to hold spaces, um, how to ambush players, how to trick them. It's essentially we're trying to go for this game of Yomi where the attackers see this vulnerable room, an easy way to secure an area in the building, but the defender is trying to exploit that understanding. 
um, and maybe even perhaps the attacker is exploiting the understanding of the yeah. defender's understanding of that space. And, uh, yeah, so if you had to narrow down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their time playing your game? The biggest thing we want players to gain from our time is that that feeling of executing a well-coordinated plan, yeah. um, you know, actually communicating something that's, that's complex and executing it well. Um, and that's kind of the gold moment we're going for, and you feel like you're kind of a mastermind. Yeah. And you're like, all right, we called what they were going to do, or we executed our plan perfectly, and everything just went exactly how we thought it would. Yeah. Uh, which is tends to be very rare in, in games, and that a lot of games kind of depend on the flow of combat or the flow of the space, kind of just naturally lead players into playing the game well but we're kind of asking our players to put that upon themselves. Yeah. Um, that we, we give the tools, we, we set up the systems that allow them to do that, but it, at the end of the day, it's, it's up to them, and we're hoping that they'll pull that off and really come away satisfied. Yeah, cool. I'd like to add that, like, Vince and I probably have about 100 hours of just playing each other in this game, like, yeah. we'll each lead a team, and we've gotten, like, stupid good at predicting each other, right? Yeah. Like, where we have to think three or four layers in. Yeah. I have to... Now I have to like pull strategies that I wouldn't even like that I believe will fail just to foil what I think he's going to do, right? Like just like things like okay, we're all going to stack in this closet and we're going to burst out because I expect them to do they I know they're going to do this instead, right? So. So who's got the upper hand right now? I think it's Vince. Yeah. <laughs> my chagrin. He's much better at hurting cats than I am. So. Okay. Cool. And uh, last question I like to ask designers is, why do you make games? What drives you to do what you do? Why don't you take this? Okay. Um, I am tired of seeing shooters that do the same thing. And I think there's like, we've had 20 years of shooters, so we like everybody knows how to play a shooter at this point, right? Like where anybody who likes shooters knows how to play them. And now is the time for us to capitalize on that, to start laying, layering on higher level game designs that do something interesting, right? Like that, that you, you take this core mechanic that everybody knows and you just change a couple of things. Like what we did wasn't too hard, right? Like we added this planning phase, but you know, all we had to do to do that was build procedurally generated maps. And it's so easy, like an indie team did it, right? Yeah. And I'd like to see more games like that. And that's why we make games. Is we we want to attack those points where people are, for whatever reason, they're not trying to do too much out of the box, right? And just like just change a couple variables to give something completely new yeah. that there's nothing else quite like it, you know? Yeah. And you guys have a launch window in mind? Uh, soon we want to do when it's ready. No tentative release date. Yeah. But the main thing is we, you know, we want to release this thing and have it go well. So we're. It's going to be a little bit. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks so much for your time. Enjoyed enjoyed checking it out. Yeah. Thank you. Edwin Jack, and your role on Seed is? I am the founder. The founder. I'm the founder of Bare Hand, and um, pretty much uh, the game designer. Um, and I do all of the animation, a lot of the 3D art that's yeah. in the game. Um, and then, yeah. And you've got some rad face paint. Yes, I have some rad face paint on. Um, it's inspired from African uh, tribal culture, very much in the African tribal culture. and. Um, Pretty much it means that no matter who you are, everyone is fighting their own war, whether it be spiritual, mental, and or physical. Yeah, cool. 
And so is that reflected in the game? Is that, uh, is that an influence? Yes, yes. So Seth is actually wearing paint on his face as well. Um, and, uh, and a lot of it, a lot of what uh, is designed in the game and the characters, like how they were concepted is based on like our morals and values. Yeah. Um, because we believe that there's always spiritual warfare um, and there's, everyone is always dealing with their own wars and struggles and he's actually dealing with one where uh, he was set up by his brothers, um, his, five bro his brothers in the game and set up to be a slave. So okay. he's fighting that war of like trying to like change and connect the planet um, while like being having this like limitation. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of jumped ahead, but tell me about Seed. Like, give me the quick elevator pitch. What is Seed? What makes it unique? So Seed is a combat farming game where you go into wastelands, you defeat monsters, and a person in Seed become vegetation. The unique thing about it is that the monsters can turn into vegetation that helps you fight other monsters. So think of them like tower defense uh, turrets, um, but they'll have different elements like healing. Um, and uh, some plants may like um, shoot projectiles or poison enemies, things like that. So we'll have like a variety of plants and the little boys that are following you, they all have abilities like sun, like sun rays and water and seeds and stone walls to help you conduct this combat one. Yeah, cool. If you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their experience playing your game? Um, hope. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, there are a lot of games, there are a lot of games out there, and um, for ours, like, it's very important to us that our game connects with people. Yeah. Um, that they, they can take something out from the game and, like, take it to their everyday lives, and that one thing being hope. Uh, our main character goes through some very rough times, and um, you know we want we have a very powerful story that we want to tell within our game. Yeah. And experiencing that story, that 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 story, um, there, I've played multiple games where you know the story impacted me. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that was so deep, you know. Yeah. And I, I still think about it, so we yeah. want to do the same thing. That's cool. That's cool. And one last question I like to ask game designers is, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? So we make games pretty much to give back to the one who created us, man. Um, this is our gift that, that was given to us by God. And uh, we just want to use our talents and skills to, to pretty much glorify God and uh, make an impact on the world. Um, you know, there's just everybody's dealing with something, you know. And, um, you know, we don't want to just make games just to have, of course, we want people to have fun. But we want to impact people's lives with our games. You know, we want to make them feel positive and uplifted that they can actually, you know, go into the world and take on anything that's coming at them. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like that. That's really cool. Yeah, well, I enjoyed playing it. Uh, it was really uh, beautifully done so far. And, yeah, I look forward to hearing more. But do you guys have a release window? or? No, we don't have a release window yet. We're primarily here at PAX because... No one knows about who we are, and no yeah. one knows about Seed or Combat Farming. We need the support of the people. That's the only way this game is going to happen. That's the only way we're going to get a release date. Right now, pretty much been bootstrapping the business, you know, kind of paying out of pocket, whatever we can do to, to, to be able to get the game the way it looks now. Yeah, cool. Cool, yeah, well, I'll look forward to, to hearing more about it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for your time, Edwin.
Uh, yeah, my name's Yoshio. Okay, and what's your last name? Nushiwan. Okay, and what is your role on projection? I'm the artist on projection. Okay, cool. And uh, what uh, you you said you guys are is your whole you're from Australia? Yeah, we're it's, we're a Sydney team, basically okay. New South Wales, Australia. Cool. Yeah, so tell me real quick uh, what projection is and what makes it unique. Uh, so projection's a uh, shadow puppet adventure based on light manipulation and a lost art style. Um, you play as Greta, who's a naughty little girl who's kind of run away from home. And she's gone on an adventure through all these different cultures that uh, had shadow puppetry in their history. And um, yeah, you get to control this light and the shadows that light casts, you can actually jump on and walk all over and like create platforms with. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And uh, you were telling me that um, the game, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word here, it, it projects or it has a kind of, there's shadow puppets from different cultures that are shown in the game that tell kind of some different cultural stories. Yeah, so um, when, when the game initially came to me in its bare box form, it made me think of shadow puppets, so we put that in, and we wanted to explore what stories were being told, and we found that um, a whole bunch of cultures used shadow puppetry before, so we had like Indonesia, uh, China, Turkey, and even in like old English history as well, shadow puppetry was pretty big, so we decided we'd be able to like make different cultural experiences. So you get to travel to those countries in the game, and each one will have its own like distinct style and music, as well as gameplay to go with it. And we'll also be telling the traditional stories that we're told from that um, from those cultures. So like with Indonesia, it's the Ramayana; China, it's the journey to the West. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, and you were telling me that your parents are Indonesian. Is that right? Yeah. So my parents are Indonesian, and um, I. When seeing the game, I thought, hey, this would be a really good chance to explore some yeah. of my culture. Because I was born in Australia. I didn't yeah. quite have the full connection to Indonesia. Yeah. And it's a good way to get my parents to actually care about a game that I was like playing and working on instead. Because normally it's like video games. Uh, yeah. That's for them kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's why I was curious. Have they uh, have they seen Projection and what do they think about it? They they love it because um, they, they they've seen me draw some of the characters that they know yeah. from the Ramayana tale. So they'll see, um, you know, Rama is one of the main good guys. And they'll be like, oh, hey, yeah. I remember seeing that when I was a kid. You know, and it's, it's been a good bonding experience. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, great way to connect the bridges yeah. between, like, young and old for my games. Yeah, yeah, because I think that there's, um, you know, cultural divides, but also, like, age divides that we have sometimes with our parents. And it's like... I think sometimes parents feel like their kids don't aren't honoring their upbringing and their culture, and so you're and they're probably somewhat suspicious of video games. <laughs> and here you are, like making a video game that's trying to honor that culture and respect it, and and um, and and uh, continue it, like continue to honor it. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, it was just nice to be getting a chance to like one give something my parents could like connect to with a video game, as well as like these are stories that don't like outside of that country they don't really get told that much yeah. and they're very like they're ubiquitous over there and outside the world no one knows about it and so yeah. it's kind of like an art form and a story that's kind of being lost yeah. so it'd be cool to like bring it out to the world or like just whoever plays it at least and get a taste of like some of this other like varied like approaches to these stories and everything and just a cool experience that people yeah. wouldn't have seen anywhere else yeah yeah if you had to narrow it down to one thing what do you hope players gain from their time with projection uh, mm, I would I would like to say cultural experience, just seeing like a different taste of like worlds and just a different art style, a different look. I'd say it's culture, I guess. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah, and uh, last question I like to ask designers is why do you make games? What drives you to do this? 
uh, because I can't really think of myself doing anything else for a job and also like I just really like games I really like to make games and I like to experiment with like art styles for me because I'm the artist so like I wanted to show something unique and interesting to the world and um, something that was fun just something that was just fun yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely well I enjoyed looking at it it's it's beautiful and uh, yeah I think it's going to be a nice change of pace for a lot of people I think people will find it really interesting so thanks for showing it to me Michael Hicks is your name, right? Yep, Michael Hicks, and hello. you are the sole well, creator, um, or do you have one a team? One half, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm the designer, programmer, musician, and writer for The Path of Modus, and my friend Gonzalo Antunes from Portugal does all the artwork. Okay, yeah. cool. So, the music, too. So, you have a music background? Yeah, yeah. I actually am self-taught, but I play trumpet and band. I, I play a little trumpet on the game, too. So. Oh, nice. Cool, cool. And, uh, and where are you from? I'm from southern Illinois, about an hour or two from St. Louis. And how did you get into game design? Uh, I grew up with games, so I always had that passion of like wanting to do my own thing. Um, so I started off like kind of mimicking. I grew up playing Star Wars Rogue Squadron, so I was trying to mimic space shooters. Then I kind of branched out. And I wanted to kind of make more meaningful or impactful games, I guess. So then my design approach kind of shifted to stuff like Modus, yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, um, I mean, there's a million different games you could dream up in your mind and make. Why make this game? Why make Path of Modus? I wanted to make a game uh, that was about empathy. So the game is about bullying and trying to understand why people bully, like the motivations for it. And it's also about resilience. Um, I feel like games, obviously challenge is a big part in games. And I wanted to kind of put my own spin on that about like never giving up and having the resilience to get through the bullies. So the two, those two elements are in the path of modus, resilience, but also trying to have empathy for the bullies. So, yeah. Oh, interesting. And. Uh so if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope a player gains from their experience playing Path of Modus, what would it be? Well, I guess actually probably trying to understand the motivations of others, but take that lesson back to real life, right? Because yeah. um, I feel like a lot of times, especially in the climate we're in right now, it's a lot of just yelling at people and not listening or trying to understand where others are coming from. So I feel like the message, hopefully it can translate to real life, people can take that with them. So. There's a, lot, there's a lot of attention nowadays, and, and rightly so, and I, I'm, I'm encouraged that there is, about the topic of bullying. Yeah. But one thing that maybe I don't really see a lot is, like, um, empathy for the bully. Like, And it was interesting that you mentioned that specifically. So, um, I, yeah, I was just curious, like, where that came from. Uh, well, I actually kind of came from my own experiences in high school. Like, I was around a lot of people that got picked on. I got picked on a little bit, too, but not as bad as some of the people I saw. And I was always kind of interested, like, I guess it's the, the psychologist coming out in me, like, what makes people do this? And I would kind of befriend these people and learn that they were bullied themselves, like, severely earlier on in life, or, like, they had really bad family problems, things like that. Yeah. And I was always amazed at, like, I see, you know, we always, I, at least I was brought up, my mom always said, well, those people, they just have their own problems. But, you know, at first you think, well, you know, that's just an easy way to not think about those people. But really, that is kind of, they have their own problems that you have to listen to and understand. That's making them have that behavior. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the psychologist coming out in me. <laughs> Do you have a background in psychology as well? I, I've had a huge, pa- not, I'm not an official psychologist, but it's always been a passion of mine. I've read yeah. stuff on the side and things. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, last question I like to ask designers uh, and developers, why do you make games? What drives you? 
Well, for me, I have to say, like, I'm really interested in, like, video games as an artistic medium. I feel like we're in a really interesting time right now where people are really trying to experiment and push things forward. So as a creator, it's exciting to work in that space. Like I mentioned earlier, I do music and all this other stuff. But here, everything kind of comes together, and it's like we're exploring a new frontier, and that's really exciting to me. Okay, tell me your name again. Arthur? Arthur. What's your last name? Dos Santos. Okay. And uh, you are one of the developers of Dark Devotion. What's your role with the team? Uh, I'm, I am the CEO of the company. Okay. But in more technically uh, view, I am the composer, writer, and I am helping on designs and concepts. Okay, cool. And uh, yeah, give me the quick... A uh, quick explanation, what is Dark Devotion and what makes it unique? So Dark Devotion is, is uh, unique because it, it is inspired by uh, nice reference like Dark Souls, Diablo yeah. 1, Diablo 2, or Shadow Crypt, Castlevania. But we put a huge effort to be original where you can have, you have the faith bar uh, and the faith mechanic that you have to manage as carefully as your stamina. There is also feature links to blessings, curses, and illnesses. I have personally, before developing, uh, studied biochemistry. So, for example, the illnesses are scientifically correct. Okay. Uh, we tried our best to give, even if it's a bit fantastic, dark fantasy, there is a really uh, realistic touch uh, to enhance the, um, the, the drama, the yeah. feel of hopelessness. Uh, you, we want to give the player uh, a constant stress like we want him to be out of its comfort zone comfort zone yeah. um, constantly yeah cool yeah that's interesting so um, how do you well can you give me some examples of how you put the player out of their comfort zone so for example uh, each time you die you lose all your gear so you come back to the hub and uh, you have to progress with what you find. Yeah. Uh, or another, like, this, everything is... Uh, this is not procedurally generated. Everything is level designed. So we, may, we were afraid that it would get boring. So in each world, there is four paths or five. Each of the passes are interconnected. Uh, they all have their own ambience, music, monsters, story, bosses. And so this is not a linear progress. If a path is a bit difficult, too difficult, you can progress in another way. Yeah. And then gather uh, upgrades uh, and then come back and you, you, can, you can really choose where you want to go yeah. and explore. Okay, cool. And, uh, and how long have you guys been working on this? So the father of Dark Devotion started the project four years ago, but we are on full time since two years ago. Yeah, cool. And uh, if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players gain from their experience with the game, one, one thing players get out of their time with your game, what would it be? Uh, I like to point, it might sound unusual, but I really like to point out the fact that Dark Devotion is really slow. It's uh, really contemplative and immersive. We wanted to give a really huge experience RPG solo game, like myself as a writer. Our references are not really other games, but more like classic uh, writers such as Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, Stevenson, or uh, Saint-Exupéry. 
Uh, I really love this uh, this style story where you can really discover through the game everything. It, um, discovering the story of Dark Devotion is like the, the fighting. You have to earn it. You have to search for it. You can discover through little scrap of papers, a description of the weapons, or through NPCs. There is a lot of things to discover. Yeah. This, this is a tenuous game. Yeah, yeah, sounds really interesting. Um, and last question I like to ask designers, game designers, is why do you make games? What drives you to do this? Why did I make game? Yeah. Um, this is difficult to say since I never studied this field. Uh, this is like... Um, uh, comment on dit concours de circonstances? I have absolutely no idea how you can say that in English. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a bit hazardous. Like this is, I, I'm a, this is a bit random that I'm here uh, developing a game because I was studying, I was mid-working on it, but then I, I had to stop for personal reasons. And I had that uh, working on, so I put all my effort on it, and then I gained responsibility. I had to launch the company. So one thing leading to another, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Well, glad you're here. I enjoyed like watching the game and or playing the game. And uh, can you tell us when we might expect to see it? We are hoping for uh, two zero, two oh eighteen winter release. Cool, great. Yeah, well, enjoyed uh, enjoyed playing it. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to Humans of Gaming. In our next episode, we'll be back to our normal format. Be sure to go rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, follow us on Spotify, spread the word about this podcast that means so much to us. Tell your friends on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, wherever you inhabit online, go tell people about this podcast. That's really how we get the word out about what we're doing. If you want to know more about what we're doing at Love Thy Nerd or have questions or comments about this podcast uh, send those to drew at lovethynerd.com be sure to go check out our other podcast free to play on the humans of uh, sorry on the love thy nerd uh, podcast network Um, that's it for me we'll see you again next time